Good afternoon, everyone. Um, we will be having two readings today. The first is from the Book of Psalms, uh, chapter 86, verses 1 to 17. Hear me, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am faithful to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, Lord, for I put my trust in you. You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. When I am in distress, I call to you because you answer me. Among the gods, there is none like you, Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name. For you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. For great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. Arrogant foes are attacking me, O God. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. They have no regard for you. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Turn to me and have mercy on me. Show your strength in behalf of your servant. Save me, because I serve you just as my mother did. Give me a sign of your goodness that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Next reading is taken from the New Testament, um, the book of Luke, Luke, chapter 6, verses 17 to 27. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of, this, of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. This is the word of the Lord. Lord. Well, friends, uh, it's great to be with you and great to be sharing the word of God with you. And uh, so the way I'd like to start is this way. Who among you does not want to be a winner in some way, in some part of your life? 
Uh, winners are at the top of the pack, aren't they? They are at the front of the line, if you like. They're always ahead. Some want to be winners for good reason. Uh, winners are rich. Uh, rich in technology, rich in status maybe, rich in cash, rich in anything. It doesn't matter terribly much as long as it's rich. You see, riches in our world is not just about money, is it? It's about all of those things that I've just said as well, and it's about possessing the things that other people tend to value. Um, and that means that poverty is about the absence of such things, doesn't it? Um, not possessing the things that make you a winner in in our society, uh, not looked up to, not rich in technology or status or privilege or money or a whole host of any other thing you can think of. And that's why none of us wishes to be poor, the loser at the end of the line. To be poor is to be at a disadvantage, isn't it, in our world? The one at the bottom of the pile, to be trodden, uh, a trodden upon victim sometimes. This is something that we take to be a reality in the world that we live in. That's a view of poverty and wealth in our world. And knowing this, uh, in our passage today, Jesus presents us with, I think, what is a very different view on things, a strange reality. So have a look in your Bibles at the passage or if it occurs behind us here, but better to have a look in your own Bible if you can. Let's see what it says. And often its view, I think, is very similar to our world. In the Bible, the rich are those who possess things that other people value. Uh, the poor are those who are short on those very things that the other people value. In the Bible, um, or in many parts of the Bible, being rich in possessions, therefore, is a sign of God's blessing even. You can tell how blessed they are by God. And if you keep reading your Bible, you'll come across a very different perspective, though, as well as that. In other parts of the Bible, there is another emphasis that happens. Yes, other parts of the Bible give us a strange, God-formed reality about riches. For the writers of the Bible know that while God often grants riches to people, some riches are not a gift of God at all. No, some riches are not gained by your being godly, no, they're gained by cheating and graft and extortion and mistreating others and depriving others of what is rightly theirs. Some riches are ill-gotten products of wickedness and hostility. That still happens in our world. So if riches are to be gained by wickedness and ungodliness, then what will the end result be? It'll inevitably be poverty, won't it? At least for some. And that's why... People, writers of the Bible begin to talk about people who are poor because of the wickedness of other people. Poor because the rich have disinherited them. Um, or, rich, or the rich have unlawfully deprived them of what is rightfully theirs. Or they're poor because they refuse to gain wealth by ungodly means. You see, if you are poor... You have no one else to depend on other than God. That's why in the Old Testament, the poor were often those who were richly dependent upon God, who focused on God, who had nowhere else to go but God. The poor in possessions were often viewed to, as people who were rich in relation to God or toward God. And being poor and needy was often synonymous with godliness. With that in mind, I want you to turn in your Bibles 
to Psalm 86, and I want you to soak it in. Here, it pictures a strange reality. Here, the poor person says this. Hear me, O Lord. Answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am faithful to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, for I put my trust in you. Now here is the godly person stating their situation. They are indeed poor and needy. Their strange reality is that they, they need to ask God for, to be merciful upon them because they're not doing well in the world. So they call out to God all day long to, re, to change their situation. So with that taken on board, with that background, I want to, us to look at our passage for today. Let me remind you of what you discover at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus in Luke's Gospel. In Luke 4, Jesus begins his ministry. And almost immediately, he gets into trouble with the religious authorities. They were used to understanding God in a particular way. And the teaching of Jesus put this great big question mark over some of it. And Jesus touches on, then summarizes some of the stark differences in Luke chapter 5, 36 to 39. Just look back a page or two in your Bibles. Look at what he says. He speaks of old wine and new wineskins. And he says that no sensible person puts new wine into an old wineskin. No, new wine must be put into new wineskins. And he says that no, and new wine, Jesus is saying that the teaching that he teaches represents a new and better understanding of God and his purposes. He's bringing new wine. What's more, this new and better understanding can't fit with the old, is what he is saying. Now in chapter 6, verses 6 to 11, he shows up some of those differences. The old way of thinking, in the, in the old way of thinking, people with shriveled, uh, with, with shriveled hand could not be healed on the Sabbath day. That's in verses 6 to 7. That is, you couldn't come and say, heal me today. Now in chapter 6, he shows up the, that difference. He says, a new way of thinking is this, that people with shriveled hands can be healed on the Sabbath. And then Jesus does it. You see, doing good, rescuing the needy is more important than worrying about whether, this, whether it's the Sabbath or not. That is effectively what Jesus is saying. And so Jesus heals the man with the withered hand in verses 8 to 11 of our chapter. Now I want you to look at verses 12 to 16. Jesus retreats to a mountain to pray. He appoints new leaders for a new age that is coming upon the world. Then he turns disciples into apostles in verses 13 to 16. And then in Luke 6 verse 17, he comes down from the mountain and he comes to the people. He begins to fill new wineskins with new wine, as it were. That is, what does he do? He begins to teach them truth from God. And controversially, it's a different perspective from other people of his day. 
New truths for a new group of people who wish to be his followers is what he says. So let's have a look at what he has to say because this is, if you are Christian here, these are the sorts of things that are close to you and near to you and you have learnt. Let's see if we too can be transformed by God's word. So look with me at the passage. Uh, In my view, to really understand verse 17 and following of our chapter, we need to consider who it is that is there listening to what Jesus says. Well, verses 17 and 18, can you see, tell us that they are a crowd of his disciples, people from the region, verse 17, and those who wished healing. In other words, this is a very different group from the previous chapter, or earlier on in this chapter, they're not Jewish leaders. Some are prospective new disciples, some are already disciples, some are just needy and some are just curious. And there are others we don't even know much about at all, except they were there as well. So what happens in this new context with this new group of people? Well, Jesus heals and he speaks. In other words, I really like this, he exercised a ministry of word, backed up and integrated with a ministry of action. He not just, doesn't just speak, he acts as well. He does a ministry of the word and of deed. Let's check it out together and have a look at what he does. First thing I want you to notice is there are two sets of sayings here. There are four sayings about blessing and there are, guess how many? Four sayings about woe as well. The first and the fourth blessing are woe and they're spoken of in the present tense. And I want you to look and listen. In verse 20, we find him looking at his disciples and he says to them, blessed are the poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst, who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you when you weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, insult you, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man, that is, because of Jesus. Rejoice in that day. And leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that's how their ancestors treated the prophets. Now, did you notice the second and the third blessing and the woe that speaks about the future? It's a strange reality that is going on here. He says the current, the future, when the current will be about overturning this current situation. Present hunger that you feel will be satisfied. Present weeping, which you turn, will turn for you into laughter. Present full bellies will turn to hunger. And present laughter will change into mourning and weeping. Can you hear the starkness of that? He's managed to hit everyone, as it were. What Jesus is saying is that the fate of people is already determined by their current state. Our eternal future is reflected in our current situation, as it were. The second thing that I want you to notice is the fourth blessing. Can you see it there? Jesus talks about those who are hated, excluded, and rejected because of him. That is, because he is the Son of Man. These verses, I think, hold the key to interpreting all the blessings and woes in this chapter. You see, Jesus is talking about those who have aligned themselves with him. He is the Son of Man. He and his disciples and those who have chosen him as their leader, 
His disciples have put their faith in him, the Son of Man. Jesus is talking, therefore, about those who are his disciples, and he's comparing their present state to what will be their future state. And what will be the future state of those who are not his disciples? And I want to check out the details with you of what he says. First, have a look at the poor. Can you see the poor referred to there? Well, in order to understand this passage, we, remember, we need to remember the background. In Luke's gospel, we've heard of two groups of people, religious authorities. They're the ones in power in Jewish circles in the first century. They had power to include or exclude people. They had power to determine who was pleasing to God and who was not. They were people at the top of the pack in the religious society of that day. They were people who used their rich status against those who were less well off. They stopped people with crippled arms being healed on the Sabbath. The lepers, the demoralised, the demon-possessed, the tax collectors, the women, the disadvantaged had their access cut away as it were. They are the ones excluded and marginalised. The ones accustomed to living on the margin of society. The ones who weep in their helplessness. The ones that cut through all the guff that, uh, to, to come running to Jesus and just cling to him as the one hope they might have. And these people discover that they are not simply tolerated in God's world. This is, this is what's going on in this passage. I'm trying to show you what is happening these people discover that they are not simply tolerated in God's new world, in this new kingdom. No. They are embraced. They are restored. They are given full rights as citizens. You can see the implications of what Jesus is saying, can't you? Jesus is dividing the the world into two groups. On the one hand, there are the poor, the hungry, the weeping, the ones this world doesn't care about. They are the ones who are pitied and despised and cut off by this world. However, there are also the ones who so often cling to God, the ones who trust in the Son of Man. And because of this, they are the ones to be congratulated. They are the ones who have found what is true wealth in this world but on the other hand there are the rich the full the ones who can laugh at enjoyment of li- in their enjoyment of life they are the ones who are on the top of the pile by the world's standards the ones to be congratulated the ones on the inside with access as it were but they are also the ones who are so often so arrogant that they almost give the impression they don't need God. So secure they can't hear God speaking anymore when he does through his son. And because of this, do you know who are the most pitied? They are. Why? Because they live in darkness and they have seen the saviour of the world. And their future will be the judgment of God. Friends, to pick up our theme, this I think is another of God's strange realities. Unexpected. Unknowable, except when the Lord explains it. 
And the impact is huge, isn't it, when you think about it. Jesus is saying that in God's kingdom, what he does is have a reversal that is of cosmic, colossal impact and proportions. The kingdom of God seen and heard in Jesus opens the door and offers hope to those who have no hope. Now, one of the great things about the Gospel of Luke is that it gives us heaps and heaps of examples of this in action. I want you to come with me in your Bibles and let's look and listen to the story of Levi the tax collector. Just flip back a few pages in your Bible or whatever you call it, digitally, and uh, to chapter 5, verses 27 to 32. Before his conversion, Levi was what? Most of you will know, he was like all tax collectors. (laughs) He was hated by everyone, socially ostracised, spoken of badly by people. Even so, he was in fact among the rich, the full and those who could laugh at life because of his job. But you know what happened then? He met Jesus and he stopped. He stopped his extortion. He abandoned his lucrative occupation. He shared a meagre common purse with Jesus in order to take the gospel to the nation and he was still hated by people. The Pharisees weren't pleased that he'd been converted to Christ nor were they pleased with his attempts to bring other people to know Jesus. But the ostracism Levi now got was for the sake of Jesus. And so Levi, now poor, Levi, now poor, was truly rich. He was blessed, truly. For his suffering was now for the sake of Jesus, the Son of Man. Now he had experienced a strange reality to pick up our theme and true riches that the world could not imagine. Now, if you want some further examples, of how Jesus turns things upside down, I I want you to just write down and read two other chapters, Luke 16, 19 to 31, or Luke 18, 9 to 14. But now I want to take a look at, a more serious look at ourselves and the impact of this passage for us. So what does it mean for us? Look at the firm words that Jesus gives to us in this passage today. You see, he's telling us how to become disciples, how to become truly rich. but he does so in the context of the world we know and experience. You see, even today we have models that are put before us, don't we? Sometimes they're athletes. Sometimes they're football players. Sometimes they're business people. Sometimes they're actors. Sometimes they are geniuses. Sometimes they are just highly moral people. And we're clearly told to aspire aspire to be like them we're told be rich in the things that this world values but do you know what Jesus does to us in the gospel here in the passage we've looked at he says those things are all transitory Um, they all pass away and he tells us so what Jesus does is he says his kingdom will never pass away Therefore, do not aspire for other things. 
No, we should seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. It is to him that we should cling. But clinging to him will not be without cost. After all, if we ground our existence in Jesus, we will set ourselves against the world and its view. And God, and we should expect the same things that happened with his son. And God calls us to oppose a worldview which is not God's worldview. And if, if we do oppose it, we can expect all sorts of things, defamation, we can expect opposition as Jesus expected, opposition. Such opposition doesn't come because God has rejected us though. It comes because our persecutors reject God and his ways. But this is where our passage points us to a greater reality, something really enormous. The great and strange reality is this, that when we align ourselves with Jesus, when we make ourselves poor by the standards of the world, then we will be truly rich. That's what this sermon says. We who so align ourselves with God and his purposes will find ourselves to be in a great state of blessedness. And that state will continue into the future, into eternity. And when God's purposes are realised in the future as he will realise them, then we will be seen to be the ones who are truly rich and truly blessed. I want to tell you that today and I want to urge you to step back from the world and to understand what Jesus is saying. He is saying this, that true riches, true wealth is not found in, in things temporary and transitory. No, true riches True wealth is found in things that cannot be seen. It's not in your bank account. No, it's somewhere else. It's found in God, in eternity, in the gospel proclaimed and embraced, in sin forgiven, in death banished, in the devil overcome, in life forever in God's presence in new people believing in Jesus and serving the true and living God now and for eternity. Friends, hear the call of the gospel that Jesus announces here. We're so used to it that it no longer overwhelms us. Hear its strange but eternal reality and it is this. Please, Align yourself with Jesus. Heed his call. Stop focusing on false riches and seek God's true riches. These true riches are found in only one place. They are found in trusting Jesus the Christ, the Son of the eternal God, in believing in him, in serving the true and living God by believing in Jesus and following him. For it is only with Jesus that true riches can, will be found. Only with him. Let's pray.
Our Father, we thank you so much for the ministry of your Son. Thank you for his speech here. Please help us to heed him and to align ourselves with him and to stop focusing on false riches and to seek your true riches found in Jesus the Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.